0: This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Everytown Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shove from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman. And take into his underground bunker in the woods. And we give you all the details you're interested in hearing about, without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists. So go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side.
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett
0: on this episode crimes and cover-ups in american politics part one the history they didn't teach you in school What mel gibson's movie the patriot came out if you
2: remember it got tremendous negative response from and they really couldn't because mel gibson and whatever and they even they have to admit he's a great filmmaker but they don't like what he's saying and they didn't like what he was saying there and it was nothing controversial really all he was doing was kind of talking about one man and he made the british look like the enemy and
0: by doing Which that they were at the time <laughs> yeah
2: exactly but that was a great crime because he
0: made the cause of independence look like something uh, worthy this podcast is supported by paranormal contractors if you have a ghost or demon problem in your home or business this is no time to be dealing with amateurs it's time to bring in the professionals Paranormal Contractors are a division of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Call them at 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800, or email them at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com. Tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night.
1: Here's Richard Serrett.
0: Welcome to your Monday, friends. I want to take a moment, for what it's worth, to say a few words about Paul Joseph Watson, Laura Loomer, Alex Jones, and Milo Yiannopoulos, who were recently banned from Facebook. deplatformed is the term they use, which is a rather antiseptic way of putting it. The truth is, this is book burning for the digital age, and it is sinister and deeply disturbing, and the kind of crap, quite frankly, they pull in places like fascist China. And anyone who cares about free speech should be saddened and angry about this. I don't care if you like these people, and I don't care if you're offended by them. If you think being offensive is is cause for banning someone, denying them their civil liberty, denying them a living, then your values do not square with the values of Western civilization. They weren't banned because they're dangerous or because they're inciting hate. They're banned because they don't have the right opinions. And as for Louis Farrakhan, well, he can rot in hell, calling Jews termites. He's a despicable human being, but I wouldn't ban him either. We've known what he's all about for a very long time, but that didn't stop President Barack Obama from posing for a picture with him, did it? Of course, that picture was buried until after he left office. I stand for PJW and Laura Loomer and actor James Woods, who was also recently banned from Twitter, and Alex Jones and Milo. These are dark days for liberty, friends. If we don't stand behind them, it'll be our turn next. And don't think for a moment. It can't happen. Facebook, you're on the wrong side of history, and history will not be kind, assuming, of course, the righteous prevail and put a stop to this tyranny. I am so pleased to welcome my next guest back to Conspiracy Unlimited. He's a true champion of liberty and freedom of speech and a great admirer of the Founding Fathers. Remember those guys, the ones the SJWs go around calling dead white guys rapists and slave owners? They want to erase them from history? In his new book, which is a monumental tome, to be sure, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, Don Jeffries reclaims the legacy of the Founding Fathers, including Jefferson and Washington, and casts... Abraham Lincoln often heralded as the greatest president in an entirely new and rather unflattering light. Don Jeffries has been researching the JFK assassination since the mid-1970s, when he was a teenage volunteer for Mark Lane's Citizens Committee of Inquiry. He's very active on all the JFK assassination forums and has been a moderator on the London Spartacus Education Forum for several years. His first published book, The acclaimed The Unreals has been compared to Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. Hidden History, with a foreword by Roger Stone, was his first nonfiction book, and now comes his latest, Crimes and Cover-ups in American History. Don Jeffries, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Fine, thanks. Thanks for having me back, Richard. This is quite a major (laughs) endeavor covering 1776 to 1963. It's the history you weren't taught in school. But who does write the history that we're taught in school?
2: Well, I call them the court historians. And uh, actually, was a, that's a term that was made up by uh, Harry Elmer Barnes, who was uh, one of the many uh, classical liberals who was later kind of drummed out of the uh, the, the mainstream media and the historical community because he was uh, going into forbidden areas and this is what we see in the mainstream media today where the parameters are thought are so restricted, same thing holds for history. Uh, you don't go outside the narrative. If you question something in the narrative, it doesn't matter what the evidence is. Uh, John Tolan found that out. A Pulitzer Prize winning historian in good standing with all the. I mean, you don't want to Pulitzer Prize if, if you're outside the establishment. He wrote the book Infamy, near The End of His Life, which questioned the narrative of Pearl Harbor and made President, uh, President Roosevelt, FDR, uh, an icon. In today's world, did the historical community look uh, pretty pretty bad, and he was drummed out of the community. And did his life, going to the only people that would have him were uh, places like the Inst- Institute for Historical Review. That's the only place he could go to speak, because the historical uh, community drummed out. So those are the people that write the history, the court historians. And I have lots of quotes in the book about uh, what history is. I mean, is it a fable agreed upon, like Napoleon said? But definitely, history is written by the victors, and uh, we must always
0: remember that. So then, when you go to res- uh, research a book like this, where do you go for your sources?
2: Well, uh, yeah, people say you're—you know—we're all just a product of resources. But I—I I think I, I kind of have a broader uh, perspective to to draw upon because for years, even when I was a, a young radical. I wasn't questioning everything. So I, I loved Abraham Lincoln, for instance. Uh, I, you know, I, I thought World War II was a good war. I mean, those kinds of things I question in, in this book. I didn't like Joe McCarthy. I mean, things like that. I thought the Rosenbergs were guilty. I mean, it, what, what I knew about that area of history. <clears throat> so I was familiar. I've read all the standard, I mean, I've read tons of biographies of people like Jefferson and uh, other historical figures that I admire. So I, I'm aware of what the, and just, you know, gener- generic books on the Civil War, generic books on the Revolution, American Revolution, what I was interested before I started really questioning all that. So I'm aware of what the official narrative is, what the establishment version of history says. So I started to seek out other things. Uh, <clears throat> for instance, uh, I first started questioning Abraham Lincoln. When I was in my public library of all places, and I, I can't believe they had this book in the library, and I was looking through the, the uh, history section on the Civil War and, and you know, things that interested me, and I saw a book called The South Was Right with an exclamation point on it, and I said, what? That, that looks interesting, and I looked at it, and I said, I, well, I've got to check this book out, because it, it, I think it was by the Donald Brothers or something. I can't remember their exact names. But, uh, you know, that book changed because it had, you know, it had quotes and things uh, from people about Lincoln that I'd never seen before. And it really made me rethink, wow, you know, what was going on there? And uh, that I just kind of broadened out like that. And, and then that I read uh, da, uh, Thomas DiLorenzo's books on Lincoln, The Real Lincoln and Lincoln on Mass. So that was, it was easy. And another book he wrote about uh, Hamilton and... Uh, Jefferson comparing them, and you know Jefferson's one of my heroes. I don't think very highly of Alexander Hamilton, despite his uh, success on Broadway as a black young rapper. But I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think he uh, he was quite up to uh, the other founding fathers' standards. But the banks loved him, and I think that's why he's on Broadway now, as opposed to all the other founding fathers. But so I, I draw upon alternative areas of research: the Institute for Historical Review, places like that, revisionist. They write some good stuff. Now, yeah, they are. Uh, sometimes they really, there are a lot of anti-Semites in those groups. There's no question about it. But uh, as I point out in the book, people like Henry Ford, who I, I admire for many reasons, well, he's been dismissed now by court historians as an anti-Semite because he did undeniably produce a little newspaper called The International Jew. And he used to hand it out to his, uh, <clears throat> his workers at his car plants. So they got it for free. But before that... And even after that, he, he did some remarkable things. He was He was a genuine pacifist. In World War I, he financed a peace ship, and he tried to get all the leading luminaries of the of the day to sail with him, to cruise with him, and discuss you know how foolhardy this was to join Europe's war, which we have. You know, Despite what they say about the good war, World War II, or the Civil War, <clears throat> no one can come up with an adequate explanation for World War I. They, they can't even possibly defend it. Archbishop Duke Ferdinand was assassinated. Okay, so we lost, you know, $50 million or whatever it was because of that? Crazy. Right, right. I mean, that was a,
0: that was a, a, a familial squabble with King George V and his cousin Kaiser Wilhelm and, and yeah. uh, the other cousin, Tsar uh, Nicholas II, the, the or the third, rather. Yeah, and we lost we lost millions
2: of young boys over that, and that's that's the insanity, and that's why when World War II rolled around, <clears throat> you had so many liberals of the day that uh, were you know were, that formed the first America First. That's why I say it, it incensed me when they tried to smear Donald Trump as a uh, you know you can smear Trump for a lot of things, but the America First movement was primarily <clears throat> directed by uh, leaders like John T. Flynn. Who wrote lots of great books? Meet your Congress as we go marching along and so forth. But again, he was drummed out of the liberal of the journalism world. He was a you know mainstream you know media guy of his day, but he was drummed out. And so some so were some other people because they supported not going to war because they remembered World War One. They didn't want to lose millions more. They thought it was stupid. And and I, and as I point out in the book, I, I show it's you know, it's a simplistic explanation to just say this demon suddenly arose. Hitler, first of all, we know that uh is, uh Antony Sutton wrote in uh, *Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler*. Much as he wrote a book called *Wall Street and the Rise of Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution*, there were forces behind Hitler that engineered his. And he was he was almost like the designated loser in a WWE extravaganza, where he was set to lose. I believe. I believe he was, and I I believe I don't believe he died. I don't believe he killed himself. I think he did go to Argentina. I think the evidence shows that. And I, you know, all this is in the book. But this is. So it's, it's, it's you find those alternative sources, and of course, I already know the conventional sources, and somebody like me, it's not that I'm not aware of what they say about these events or these people. I've, I've read them, and I've rejected them, because to me, they don't make any sense. It's like, when I, you know, researching the JFK assassination, I read the, the Warren Commission's hearings and exhibits. I understand what the Warren Report says. I reject it, because it's impossible, it makes no sense, and I've actually looked at the evidence. so. Most people don't do that. Most people, if they first of all, most people aren't even interested in history. I mean, I, I know so few people that are, and even in my family, they're not. They're just not interested in history. And most Americans are historically illiterate now. And I'm, you know, I'm going after, a, you know, I don't know what kind of audience I'm, I'm gonna get for this book because the people that are interested in history tend to be those who read those court historian books. So if they're interested in the subject, they're more than likely. They worship Abraham Lincoln, just like everyone else in the establishment does, or people or FDR or whatever. And they think uh, you know, World War Two was the good war, and really? they were the great. They were the greatest generation. So when I point out the bombing of Dresden and all these awful things, the rapes, and I describe in the book what went on, that this is what the greatest generation And I'm not saying they were they were you know especially awful for doing it. I think that's what happens in war, and I, and I as I point out in the book, I'm not. I don't need to document any atrocities committed by the Confederates or by the uh, the Axis powers in World War II because everybody knows them. <laughs> There's not hidden history. I'm writing about hidden history, so I'm trying to point out that there are two sides to every story. History is written by the victors, and especially in the wars, we've got to keep that in mind because if, if, if somehow the South had won the Civil War, I don't. I think Abraham Lincoln would probably be viewed along the lines of the way Adolf Hitler is is uh, viewed in in America today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting
0: to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Well, time permitting, we'll, we'll circle back to Abraham Lincoln, but one of the things I like that you do in the book uh, is reclaiming the legacy of the Founding Fathers. And you mentioned how, for example, the arts and the mainstream media and the court historians, as you call them, like to get behind certain figures, historical figures, and not others. They embrace Hamilton because he loved the banks and he married into into the Rothschild family. Uh, But they're not so enamored of the founding fathers like George Washington, the the father of the country. And it's, it's astounding, as you point out in the book, that his all of the wonderful stories uh, behind Washington have not been celebrated in film. Where is the epic movie about George Washington? And ex- yeah,
2: it you anyway, it took me a long time to realize that. I mean, I, I wrote an article on my blog about that. At uh, Hollywood hates the founding fathers, probably on and a couple years ago. Uh, people can find it, and you know, uh, uh, keeping it Unreal is my blog. But I, you know, at that time, I, I realized, you know, because as a little kid, I loved history. So I loved reading and hearing the apocryphal stories of, you know, George Washington uh, cutting down the cherry tree, I cannot tell a lie, throwing a silver dollar across the Potomac River. And there's so many colorful stories with him. But here was a guy who, I mean, just imagine a chicken hawk like Lindsey Graham or something getting on a horse and leading his troops in battle. I mean, this is a guy that was out at the front line. And this is something, so, I mean, that's why I I don't support any wars, but, you know, it's hard to go against something like that when somebody is, same thing with Andrew Jackson, like a a guy that, you know, really loved war too much for my taste, but he was willing to go out in front and actually fight it. So you have to respect somebody like that. And Washington, he could have uh, become a king. He He was offered everything. And in fact, people like Hamilton, the Hamiltonians of the day, as opposed to the Jeffersonians, were, were not really interested in democratic-type rule or even a republic. He wanted the trappings of monarchy, and he, they, they wanted something like a king. And they wanted Washington to be a king. Well, Washington, to his great credit, was humble enough to, uh, is the, you know, by far the biggest celebrity of his day. I mean, we can't even find anybody to compare George Washington to today, but he was the most famous person alive, obviously, especially after, after the, uh, the War for Independence was won. He could have had anything he wanted, and he, instead he took a, or, you know, a kind of a subdued position, which the president is, is, certainly not a king, and he walked away after eight years, unlike Franklin Roosevelt would do later. But he, he walked away. He could have stayed president as long as he wanted. Now, he ended up dying a couple of years later. But theoretically, he could have been a president for life. So, And, and I, what I find most attractive about George Washington and why I think they can't analyze his words too much is if you, you read what he wrote in his farewell address. He talked about, I mean, everything. And I, I quote from it in the book. And I point out that. There's no way they can they can focus on that uh, farewell address honestly. A court historian can't because it contradicts every aspect of American foreign policy of my lifetime. The whole idea of it is no entangling alliances. Friendly relations with all, no entangling alliances. Well, we have a special relationship with Israel, which runs our foreign policy, and all we do is get into these entangling alliances and meddle. And, and we also, John Adams, another Federalist of the day, said uh, that we America does not go in, abroad in search of monsters to destroy. So these are, you know these are things that contradict everything about our so-called bipartisan foreign policy, because there is no disagreement. That's why somebody like a Tulsi Gabbard now is not ever mentioned by the mainstream media, even though she's very attractive. You know, good looking women in politics usually are promoted relentlessly. She's very attractive. And because she's actually saying some things that question the war party and talk about peace. And that's that that uh, contradicts the bipartisan foreign policy where everybody has to get on board with whatever they're doing. And so I think that's why uh, Hollywood, they can't really it, – It's, a, it's a, I think why they stay away from the Look what happened when Mel Gibson met The Patriots. He made that movie in the 1990s, and there was so much controversy about it. And I, at the time, I didn't even understand, because I really hadn't even hadn't dawned on me. Yet. And then I started, I, I, I'm a very big fil- fan of film. I know a lot, a lot very much about uh, old, old Hollywood. And I started looking back, and I realized, wow, there, there's nothing. The only, the only founding father that had any kind of movie about him was, yes, Alexander Hamilton, right. shockingly enough. No one else. But you had movies about Andrew Jackson's mistress, Andrew Johnson. Benjamin Disraeli and lots, of, lots of English royalty who we defeated in this theory, you know, I, supposedly. Where, where are the? I mean, this and this is during supposedly our our most patriotic era of America. Where, when kids in school, even when I was a kid in the early sixties, uh, going, I mean, first starting in school, they were talking. They were still telling the stories about George Washington. I, I was thrilled to hear Patrick Henry's. Uh, I, I may not agree with what you say, but I'll defend your, my dying day. You're right to say it. Well, of course, that contradicts everything about today's world. They can't talk about that stuff anymore.
0: Today, the saying is, uh, I will fight to the death your right to agree with me. Uh, and if you disagree <laughs> with me, I'll call the police.
2: Exactly. I, want you, I At the very least, we want you fired, if not thrown in prison. And so, this is why they can't, and they can't even, to quote from the Declaration of Independence, it, it sounds like you're quoting something subversive. If you read the Declaration of Independence and Thomas Jefferson's words, it sounds like some right-wing extremist stuff today that they would want banned, that Facebook and, you know, uh, social media wouldn't allow. Twitter would, would ban that guy's
0: account. Right. Well, my favorite Jefferson quote, which is absolutely so- Subversive uh, yeah. is uh, you know the the tree of liberty must be must yes. be watered with the blood of tyrants from time to yes. time.
2: Yes, exactly. And just uh, imagine that, and that's and that's why Abraham Lincoln despised Thomas Jefferson and the founding fathers. And I have several quotes to that effect where his aides talked about that. And uh, it's, it's, so there wasn't. One thinks of it when we – and even some people that, that, that aren't are what I call awake on Lincoln and awake on what happened during the Civil War, they tend to talk about Washington and Jefferson and Lincoln. They'll throw him in like he's the same when, in fact, he's on the other side. <laughs> it's not because he contradicted everything that they were doing. and it, it, But today, we look at it and the only thing we – really, the only part of the Declaration of Independence that gets any kind of attention at all – in polite society is the all men are created equal stuff because then you can, the social justice warriors can say, what do you mean all men? What about women? Mm -hmm. And of course they can, they can quickly say, Oh, how could they say that when they were slavery? And then that's it. They don't care about the rest of the the series of, uh, of, uh, unalterable events. You know, all these actions of tyranny that obviously, you know, basically Jefferson saying, obviously I recognize a conspiracy when I see one, because this is the kind of stuff that people like me, conspiracy theorists talk about. And, Court historians don't want to equate
0: a legendary figure like Thomas Jefferson or John Adams or, well, or George Washington or anyone. Let's, let's, let's talk about Thomas Jefferson and the, the, the hit job that has been uh, d- done on the third president of the United States, perhaps, you know, the, the, the greatest uh, intellect, uh, writer, philosopher um, ever in American history. And now he is just another dead white guy, and maybe a rapist and a slave owner to boot. So let's let's tear down all of his statues, including the Jefferson Memorial.
2: Yeah, exactly, and that's that's what. and, And again, I think it's because. It's easy to use that that hammer of slavery because slavery existed. Jefferson's from the South. Like all the founding fathers, he was a one percenter of his day. He inherited his plantation much as all the other one percenters inherited their plantations. And and, in Boston, they they came from wealth as well. The John Hancocks of the world were very wealthy. But Jefferson, first of all, there was a strong passage condemning slavery that was uh, deleted out of the direct of independence Jefferson wrote it and he wanted it included there was a lot of compromise there a lot of editing for they could get all the uh, the delegates from the various states to accept it so they had to compromise there Jefferson was on the, was the strongest anti-slavery voice of his era yes he had slaves but for practical purposes that was the economy that existed in the south of the time and I've, as I pointed out Jefferson had a plan it was on paper. He had a plan the way he wanted slaves to be emancipated, but he recognized that you don't throw them like a baptism by fire. You don't suddenly throw them in the deep end of the pool, which is what happened after the Civil War. Because and uh, Jefferson, you know, it was. There's evidence that indicates that his slaves, at least some of his slaves, were taught to read and write. They were better educated than some of the other slaves. And that was not what was supposed to be going on. It was against the law, to, they wanted to keep them dumb. God, thus, you know, they wanted slaves, you know? They, don't, they didn't want anybody to question them. Jefferson recognized that that was wrong. He recognized, even though he, he, had, he was living it, and he was, he was uh, profiting from slave labor, but he had a plan that would've been more an incremental and more logical plan, where they would've been freed uh, incrementally to up to a certain date when everybody, every uh, child born after that date was born free. But then they could be educated gradually and prepared to enter society. What happened after the Civil War? They weren't educated at all because they had they had been forbidden to be educated in most cases, except for you know there were a few, obviously the Frederick Douglass types, but the slaves, by and large, were suddenly thrown out and they were spurred on by a north and, and, and basically urged to you know take what's yours, the mansions, the women, the food, all that, that's yours promised 40 mules, 40 acres and a mule and all that. stuff that you know was was obviously never even meant to be uh, real. It was like a Donald Trump promise or something. You know? It was obviously going to be broken. But that, and I don't think, I think if a Jefferson had been overseeing if his plan, to, uh, the free the slaves had, had been uh, you know, abided by, then you would not have had the ugly Reconstruction Era. You would not have had 100 years of Jim Crow laws and separate bathrooms. And most people don't realize the real racism came into being after the slaves were freed. There, all indication there was not anywhere near the kind of tension between the races. Now, of course, they were they were obviously in the master and uh, slave relationship, but only to a very small degree. Because that's another thing that I point out in the book: less than five percent of of the the, the uh, whites in the South owned slaves. So the overwhelming majority, you know, ninety plus percent didn't. we not in a position to own slaves, so they were never masters. So they, were, they were just, you know, in many cases, poor whites. And, of course, they had, they had white privilege of the day more than, than slaves did. But this great hostility towards blacks, I think, really happened because of the way that they were freed after this bloody war and this 600,000, 800,000 people uh, being killed. And it's, I, I think that's where the hostility came from. But a man like Jefferson... For him to be smeared as a racist when he was the most eloquent anti-slavery voice of his day, and yes, he lived contradictions in his life. But it's you know it's it's there, were, there it's very complex because Jefferson also was um, a flawed man in terms of he was always in debt. He he could not handle finances. I don't know why he was very sensible on the on the record, but he didn't live that way. And uh, for practical purposes, he, he it would have been hard for him to free his slaves. Just simply because he needed the labor, and he you know he was he was broke most of the time, and uh yes, he should have freed them on his death i, I think that would have been a more moral thing to do, but again he had a, he he I don't i don't think he wanted to do throw them into the deep end. that was his philosophy I think you know, for practical purposes in the long run, his uh, strategy worked better, but I, I think they would have found something else to uh to take him to task for even if he had freed his slaves on his death i don't think that would have
0: well and they and they have now it's of course this old lie that will not die that he he raped one of his young slaves sally Hemings, and fathered a child by by her so let's walk us through that argument and and uh uh you know uh set the record straight there if you could
2: yeah, well, th- that comes from the 1800 cam- presidential campaign, it's still probably the most contentious presidential campaign in American history between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, who later, ironically, would go on to become great uh, l- correspondents with each other and left invaluable letters and in historical records as friends. But before this, they were contentious uh, you know, p- political enemies. Uh, Adams is a Federalist and uh, Jefferson is the, is the first Democrat. And During the campaign, a guy named James Callender, newspaper editor, um, it was irate at Jefferson because Jefferson had supposedly promised him a position in a campaign and he had helped Jefferson supposedly dig up mud on Adams during the campaign. Jefferson didn't reward him sufficiently in his eyes. So he started talking about Sally Hemings. One of, or I don't I, I don't know how soon he mentioned her, but he talked about one of the slaves in a special relationship. There started to be whispers about how many, how a lot of the mulattoes that were there, you know, some of them looked like uh, Jefferson and all this stuff. So, but that it really didn't last very long it wasn 't because I think most people recognized there wasn't a great deal of evidence for it, and uh it wasn't that important i guess to the to the people at that time. The issue really died for a very long time until fawn Brody, who uh, was one of these a court historian who throws a bunch of uh, psycho freudian uh, uh, psychiatry stuff and calls it psychobiography at her subject. she wrote uh, a, a book in 1974, I believe about Jefferson. And a biography on him and she is the one who who uh, resurrected the Sally Hemings controversies and ever since then it picked up fire. Uh, certainly uh, uh, black rights groups uh, got excited about it You started having all these descendants uh, of two or three families that you know, had an oral tradition as they say, nothing on record that uh, Jefferson had fathered the children and, and was their uh, great-great-great-great-grandfather or whatever. They did DNA testing and it wasn't Complete DNA testing, so there's still some doubt there. And they found a link between the Jefferson strain, which is I would have included, I think 20, over 25 or something like that, male Jeffersons at the time. They could have been matched to it. One of them, Thomas Jefferson, but he also had a brother and a nephew who were both notorious, had w- wild reputations for having sex with slaves. And uh, in my mind, they're much better uh, candidates for this, but. At any rate, they matched this DNA strain to this one family who had the one child, the one slave child by by, um, Sally Hemings. So the most that anybody can really reasonably say is that Jefferson could have been. A. Jefferson was the child of one of Sally Hemings' children. She had lots of children. However... The family that had been uh, had the oral tradition about the child that was Sally Heming's first child when she was like 16, underage. This is the one where Jefferson's called a rapist because she was underage, pedophile, or whatever they want to call him. Uh, that DNA did not match. So that argument's gone, but it, it doesn't stop the court historians. I, I've read quotes all over that Jefferson fathered all the children. Jefferson was a child, again, just ignoring, but. Court historians aren't interested in evidence. They're it's it's the court historians really are just like the social justice warriors that are out on the streets, that are screaming and jumping up and down with their fingers in their ears. They're not they're interested in emotion. They're vested in these things. Thomas Jefferson now, the the all these men were were vile racists. They all owned slaves. So that's it. Question stop. You know the, the tear down the monuments. Stop all, you know. Uh, change all the names, all the schools, all the tradition, all the schools and streets that America has had for 200 plus years, honoring the uh, the founders of this republic. And what is what does that say then about our respect, this respect of the establishment, the the elites that run us today? What does that say about their respect for the revolution? If if they're denigrating the men who led it who did pledge their lives and their sacred uh, fortune, their honor, their, and, and their fortunes. And I put out in the book, what happened to so many of these people? They did lose their fortunes. Some of them died in this, many of them fought. They weren't chicken hawks. What does that say about what they think about independence? Does that mean they even support it at all? What, what does it say about the, 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 uh, the, the values in the Declaration of Independence? Do they support that? No. Well. Do, they certainly don't support free speech or the First Amendment or anything in the Constitution. If they did, they wouldn't have invented some absurd concept like hate speech. Hate speech is incompatible with free speech because hate is in the eye of the beholder. So, but you have people say that's hate speech, that's hate speech. He should be. I mean. Oh, my nothing. gosh. You,
0: you see nothing up here in Canada. It's offensive speech. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if you <laughs> yeah. offend somebody, they'll yeah. lock you up. <laughs> Did you get the tea? Well, I've been getting mine. It comes in the mail every month. Eight amazing tea bags of Life Change Tea and Formula 13 tea. I brew it up, let it steep, then pop it in the fridge. Eight bags of this amazing organic, caffeine-free herbal tea is enough to last the entire month. Now, I'm being gently cleansed, and I've never felt better, truly. I want the whole world to know how energized I feel, how happy I am. And have I mentioned I've dropped some weight and it stays off. Good health starts with a healthy gut and digestive system, and that means a clean colon. Life Change Tea and Formula 13 teas are made from all natural ingredients. I'm enjoying the pomegranate and the peppermint. Why not discover the benefits for yourself? And my friends at GetTheTea.com have made it real easy. Go to GetTheTea.com and use the code UNLIMITED when making your first purchase. Your first order then ships for free. Life Change Tea and Formula 13 Tea from getthetea.com.
1: The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed finally it is accepted as self-evident let me just read that again I don't know what that means conspiracy unlimited with Richard Serrett Don Jeffries is here
0: offering up a lesson in American history one you likely didn't hear in school you made an interesting point too about you know the elites today and can con- contrast the Wall Street crowd today with the one percenters uh, back during the Revolutionary War where again yes many of them, uh, that the, 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 that signed the Declaration of Independence. They they were the one percenters. They were today's billionaires. They lost their lives, or they lost their houses were burned to the ground, and they had all of their material wealth uh, taken away from them. Um, I want to talk about another um, famous or a historical figure. The media seems to like, and that is Benjamin Franklin. Inventor and a publisher and a philosopher and a a statesman, but you bring up some very interesting well, let's say some skeletons in old Ben Franklin's closet. Yeah, yeah
2: literal skeletons. Well, if Ben Franklin's unlike Alexander Hamilton. I really can't think of any good thing to say about him. Benjamin Franklin, obviously, is a brilliant man, fantastic inventor, left great things. And one of his least quoted sayings is one of my favorites that I quote all the time, and that is, there's no such thing as a good war or a bad peace. And I wish that one would be quoted a lot more than a penny saves, a penny earned, and all yeah. the other ones ones that make it so i i think there was some good in the man but he was a member of the hellfire club uh which was a uh i don't know if it was satanic or if it's certainly a, a blasphemous type group that uh were a bunch of elites that uh and I, I they were all freemasons and it was kind of an offshoot of freemasonry and they met uh in the deep dark recesses uh well below uh, an old uh, abandoned monastery i believe it was and they they had uh Prostitutes that would come to their festivities, uh, dressed as nuns, and so they were always accenting the the very uh, anti-Christian aspect of it. And uh, I I find that aspect of 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 Benjamin Franklin very troubling. And then in the 1990s, it was discovered uh, excavation at at a home he had uh, owned in London. At at one point, they discovered uh, any number of human uh, skeletal remains in the walls or in the basements there and uh, it was kind of I mean it made the headlines for a few days but I when writing the books I really couldn't find any updates on it Uh, it was it was but again the court historians stepped in as they will do they they quickly step in and they try to put a normalcy bias on all these things they can't have something out that was Jefferson, yeah, that they would probably would just be the final nail in his coffin they'd instantly claim they were slave bones and that Jefferson not only was raping slaves, but was killing them, and you know something like that, and it would fit the narrative in franklin 's case he's still considered pretty much a hero and they quickly just ascribed it to medical experiments by some young doctor that was living there too or something who who died very young uh, well before his time uh, very young Un- unnatural deaths is so you know common in in these historical um, events and, and no one seemed to question it, well, okay, this, I mean, I, I have a lot of the quotes in the book about how they quickly tried to say, well, you know, Ben Frank, like, this is one of the most brilliant men of his day. I mean, if if something like that was going on under his nose where where a medical student was burying bodies in the basement, I mean, how, I, I can't believe he wouldn't have known that. So to me, it would be more logical to have an open mind. And say, be a little skeptical here and say, well, you know, first of all, we know Benjamin Franklin was a member of this Hellfire Club, and we really don't know what kind of rituals they had there. Now we find skeletal remains in in his home. I mean, is it much of a leap there? I mean, I, I think that at the very least, historians ought to ask, it's not. we really can't solve the problem, you know, 200 plus years later, but... I think at least people ought to question that. And certainly I think that's a more dubious to have actual skeletons found in your home on top of the Hellfire Club is way more dubious than some DNA DNA evidence that may link you to one of your slaves.
0: Well, so the the best case scenario, this doctor was hiring grave robbers and they were bringing dead bodies so that he could, uh, you know, uh, dissect them. Uh, worst case scenario, I guess Benjamin Franklin was what like another John Wayne Gacy? <laughs> well, that would be, fun. yeah. I mean, well, if, or you could, I mean, just off uh, the top of my head, I would say
2: I could, I could construct probably a pretty reasonable theory based on what we know about him being a member of the Hellfire Club. And you know, was this was this part of the rituals? Did they uh, did they have to kill somebody? Did they bury him with their mistakes? I, I don't know. Did some of the prostitutes get out of hand? Who knows? Was he in were they the, uh, the? Were they also like the elite today? where they, they uh, were uh, trafficking children for sex? I, I think some of the skeletons I believe were of children. And so there's there's lots of questions that should be asked there, but they just they shut down because it's Franklin right now at least is sacrosanct, so they're not going to go there. They would go there if it was Jefferson or uh, maybe a Patrick Henry or something, but they're not certainly wouldn't go there for Hamilton. They're not going to go there with Franklin. Um, and it's, it's, it's troubling, but that's, what, that's the way the court historians operate. They operate the exact same way as a mainstream, a so-called investigative reporter does today. When you, you get them, they, they come up with some kind of anything, one of these events, any kind of circumstance, they're not going to investigate anything. Their mind shuts down at the very thought. Whatever they're told by the authorities, that's what they report. Authorities say. There is no there's no curiosity at all, no inquisitiveness. That's what we have with the court historians as well. Here's here's a a historical mystery that kind of the the so-called journalists today and the court historians both can kind of you know come together and say, well, you know, no, nothing to see here, move along here. The kind of the joke that you see on conspiracy forums, nothing to see, move along here. And it's uh, it's a shame, but it, it it just you know epitomizes the problem that. Uh, that someone like me faces in trying to write history it's because I, I I don't speculate at all I'm not saying you know Benjamin Franklin was a serial killer but I'm also saying that I can't know that that's true because I don't know right, 200 right. years away I, I can't necessarily know like they claim that he he knew nothing about it so
0: we were talking about the you know the um, how the court historians and the elites how they really would rather not talk about uh, sort of the revolutionary spirit and and um uh, the founding fathers, um, but you point out something fascinating in the book, and I, I believe it was uncovered through a FOIA by the by Ju- the good people at Judicial Watch, Larry Clayman and so forth, or it may have been Alex Jones, and they found in the police training manual something about the founding fathers. What? Tell me about that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they they are basically – and Alex Jones, I think, back when he was doing – and, you know, Alex Jones did do really, really good stuff. You go back five to ten years ago and watch some of his stuff. It's unbelievable stuff. Very, very anti-tyranny. He was exposing uh, – back when he was talking about globalists instead of uh, being a neocon Trump fan. But he, he actually published and, and showed the video – and it used to be on YouTube. I doubt if it's there now – where you can see, and I think there was more than one video with different police uh, precincts showing. Like, basically, I think there's an overhead, and there's you know, there's just like a presentation, and they're talking about they're referring to the founding fathers as terrorists. And it, it's it's not. It didn't surprise me because what the founding fathers fought for, they were fighting tyranny and i believe we are living under tyranny so the people that run things today they can't possibly be sympathetic with the founding fathers because if if those found if that 1% existed today I, you know there there would have been a, a whole lot of committees of correspondence and a lot of meetings going on in taverns and way more than one boston tea party because it, it would have never gone anywhere near this far because they would not have put up with the outrages that present-day Americans do, because we're just kind of, uh, we're numbed by it, desensitized to it. But the tyranny that Thomas Jefferson spoke of in the Declaration of Independence is child's play. It's nothing compared to what we live under today and what we've lived under for a long time, and especially, uh, you know, you, you go back to 9-11, especially since 9-11, when the Patriot Act was instituted and free speech zones and uh, the Homeland Security was uh, created this monstrosity and anybody and everybody is the enemy and uh, anybody's basically considered a terrorist. And, and, and you had the social justice warriors coming out and jumping in the middle of everything and calling everybody racist. And it's just, it's a terrible mess. And, and, you know, people shouldn't be tolerating it, but the, the problem is that, and that's why I say why there are no movies made about the founding fathers, television shows or anything, because the people that are in charge History is written by the victors. These people won, or their ancestors won, and they are in charge. They're not going to paint the Thomas Jeffersons or the George Washingtons, Patrick Henrys, in a positive light, because to do so, people might get attracted to those ideals, and they might start looking around and saying, oh, you know, if they read, even the dumbed-down American today, if they read the passages from the Declaration of Independence, and they. Look at the situation today. They might start thinking. They might say, w- "Wow, you know." And, but they don't. Instead, you know, they, they they've got the Kardashian stuff for them to, to watch. So they don't they don't have to think that. They don't have to use their brains for anything like that. So uh, it's 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 very disturbing. And for. That's why I said with Mel Gibson's movie, the Patriot came out. If you remember, it got tremendous negative response from, and they really couldn't, because Mel Gibson and whatever, and they even they have to admit he's a great filmmaker, that he's you know has great talent. So they really can't uh, criticize his product for the product itself, but they they don't like what he's saying, and they didn't like what he was saying there, and, and it was nothing controversial. Really, all he was doing was kind of talking about one man, and he he made the British look like the enemy. And by doing that, they were at the time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But that was a great crime because he made the the uh, the cause of independence look like something uh, worthy and and just. And that is not allowed in America today. Because it's really the only war they don't celebrate. It's kind of antithesis of myself, where it's probably the only war I would support. That's the only war they don't support because the basis behind it was to be independent, and Jefferson's quote about the tree of liberty and the consent of the governed—all those quotes that we that we used to be taught—and they fly in the face of today's reality because clearly the people that run this country today uh, they don't they don't abide by the Constitution, and they certainly don't believe in the ideals of the founding fathers and the social justice warriors. Constantly tell us how awful and racist they were. So what does that say about what what kind of system we? I, I don't I think it's unprecedented really, that any country has ever had a dichotomy between those who built the country and who, theoretically, we live under their form of government still.
0: Right. And yet, and yet, uh, all of candidates will give a symbolic gesture, or overture to the founding fathers. But as you say, they don't for a minute uh, live up to those standards. It's like they want to take the first 100 years of American history and just throw it in the trash bin. Uh, crimes and cover-ups in American politics... 1776 to 1963 well we've just scratched the surface I'm going to have you back on uh, fairly soon and we'll, uh, we'll get into Lincoln and the Civil War and uh, we'll keep going how's that sound Don? Sounds great Richard talk to you anytime, love talking about it how do we get a copy of, I know it's, it's not uh, released yet but we can pre-order Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, how do we do that?
2: You can. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, the publisher, which is Skyhorse, but also Simon & Schuster now because they have some kind of uh, agreement now. And the uh, forward is by Ron Paul. That Hopefully that'll attract a few more people out there, very proud and honored by that. But uh, yeah, you can find it. If you Google my name and Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, uh, it's 1776-1963. It'll uh, it'll
0: come up everywhere. And it's, it's very easy to get uh, a hold of, at least to pre-order. So forget about Mick history. Get your history right here. Crimes and cover-ups in American politics. Again, the history they didn't teach you in school. I highly, highly recommend it. Don, talk again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Okay. Don will be back soon with part two of our ongoing series on crimes and cover-ups in American history, 1776 to 1963. And I'll be back with a few words about what's coming up on Wednesday's edition. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the star chamber, $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and Whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me, and all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, is the United States Navy getting ready to disclose the truth about UFOs? The Navy pilots began to express, either among themselves or overtly through to other people, their frustration that the administration within the Navy wasn't taking the report seriously. Or if they were taking the report seriously, they were saying, fine, thank you very much for your information. but." Don't talk to anybody. This is just the end of the line for you. And then nothing would happen. So this created a lot of anger, not just frustration, among the pilots. The Navy did respond because I guess they wanted to make sure that their pilots were happy campers, I suppose. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.